All right, what is up, golf addicts? David and Pat coming at you with the Tour Junkies podcast brought to you by Roto Grinders. Be sure to check out the rotogrinders.com premium membership if you've not already. And hey, listen, this is just a, a this is going to be a great podcast full of Roto Grinders experts. Um, mainly are, are the guests on the line for tonight's show, Mr. Justin Van Zuden, also known as STL Cardinals 84 on DraftKings. Justin, how are you doing, man? And did I get your last name right? <laughs> you nailed it. Uh, better than most people do on the first try. Now, you yes. had to ask for a little help beforehand, so I can't give you full credit for that, but it's always good to uh, <laughs> to make sure you get that checked out and, you know, you wouldn't have been the first person to uh, to pronounce it incorrectly. So I'll pretty much just go by anything that involves uh, Justin. So, But I'm doing good. Happy to be on with you guys and uh, always up for talking some golf. So it uh, should yeah, be a fun man. show. Well, this is uh, this is our GPP strategy show. Uh, you know, we we like to do the strategy shows here in the downtime as the season begins winding down, and um, you know, and then we we get a, a small break, and then we're back at it. So, uh, your reputation is uh, is is a great one. You've you've won some money in some GPP contests, and specifically PGA. I know I know you've done some things as well in football. So, why don't you tell? The listeners a little bit about yourself and uh and, and kind of your dfs history and your story and then we'll get into the questions yeah i've been playing for about uh four and a half years now it's uh, it's amazing that it's been that long but you know i kind of got into dfs on the ground floor i mean it had been around for maybe a year but but the boom hadn't really hit yet so i'd like to consider myself a person that was kind of around at the beginning and uh, golf wasn't around back then. DraftKings wasn't around back then. And uh, so it was mainly, you know, the the big sports, basketball, baseball, football, a little bit of college at the time. And uh, I've always kind of taken a liking a little bit to the niche sports because I feel like research can give you a bit of an advantage. And so I really enjoyed the college sports. And when DraftKings came around, uh, it was about a year after I started playing and started offering PGA. I wasn't the biggest golf fan at the time. I, you know, I watched it occasionally and I was probably more familiar with golf than just your average guy on the street, but I, I really took a liking to it. I mean, you get a sweat with your, with your money over four days. You can follow the action shot by shot and waste your whole day away doing that. And yeah, I, you know, I, I started watching golf a lot more and over the last four years, I mean, I've really come to like it. It's probably my favorite DFS sport to play now. Yeah, we we love it for that reason. Obviously, we're big football fans too, and that's a good time. But uh, there's nothing like the four day sweat. You just feel like you get your money's worth, even if you lose. Um, so it, it's a good time. So talk about like I know you've had some big wins here recently. Pat and I were trying to remember. We feel like we just saw you win something. So what's what's some of the pots you've taken down in a GPP with PGA specifically? Yeah, the biggest one was uh, the Open Championship. Um, there's a DraftKings occasionally for the majors offers a tournament that's uh, 5k buy-in and uh, I wasn't planning on ponying up 5k for an entry but I won a ticket the week before in a euro event I won a ticket to the uh, for a 5k entry fee so obviously that was the only entry I had in there and put my best team in there and and managed to win that Uh, I had both both Phil and, and Henrik Stenson on that team. And you know, wow, there's only yeah. other, I think there was only one other person in that tournament 
that had those two guys, and and he had a couple guys miss the cut. So uh, that was 125,000, which was easily my biggest win. Um, I think I came home with about 40,000 in the John Deere Classic. All all the GPPs were really small uh, because the Olympics were going on at the same time, but uh, won like three or four things together for that, and that was nice. I was actually there for all four days. I'm pretty close to to Silvis, Illinois, so uh, that was nice to be able to go watch the golf and, and have a sweat there. And a uh, pretty good week a couple weeks ago, the first week of the playoffs, the uh, Barclays uh, took down second or third in some GPPs, about 20 grand. So, I mean, definitely have my weeks where I miss, but uh, I think, you know, hopefully I've got a strategy figured out where in the long run those those weeks of wins offset the losses and, uh, and that, that open championship hit for 125000 certainly was uh, easily my biggest win. So that's the one that I'm the proudest of and with a single entry too. So. Yeah, that's that's killer, man. To have Phil and and Henrik in that lineup, that's that's pretty solid. Um, so that's great. Well, let's get into some questions, man. We're gonna talk some strategy. So, uh, you know, one of the first things I want to ask you is just when you're starting to formulate your GPP lineup for the week, is there a particular price point, or do you start top, middle, or or bottom that you build from uh, when you're building a GPP lineup? Yeah, I start at the bottom. Um, it's really easy to start at the top and then just kind of get the guys you want and then you just fill in with a value guy, you know, whoever fits at the bottom and you just yep. make it work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really easy to it's really easy to fall into that trap. But the high dollar guys generally, I mean, we just talked about Henrik and Phil that one week, but generally the high dollar guys don't don't win you a GPP because the Rory's and the Jason days and the Jordan Spieth's are always around 15 to 20% owned or higher, depending on the field strength where you can generally differentiate yourself is with the lower end guys that are maybe five, seven, 9% owned. And just in terms of time spent, you know, researching players, I probably spend 75% of my research time on the bottom, you know, 40% of the field and wow. 25% of my research time on the top 60% of the field. I mean, that's all it's kind of relatively speaking, but I think you more weeks than not, your your money is won or lost more so with the lower end guys, just because the ownership tends to be spread out on them a little bit more, unless there's a glaring, you know, a glaring value or somebody that's totally obvious, taking that out of the equation, obviously. So when you when you look at the salary cap and and let's say you start at the bottom, you fill in your lineup. Are you like, are you? How do you feel about leaving the money on the table? So like, do you? What's the most amount of money you're willing to leave on the table? Uh, how do you? You know, I know some guys that will that will make. Um, you know, they'll look at the field beforehand, kind of uh, assume prices and not intentionally not look, so they're not skewed by prices in DraftKings. So how does that process look for you? Because I know for me, when I build lineups, it's just hard for me. Like I never, I never feel like I have to max it out, but I always feel uncomfortable if I've got like more than maybe seven or $800 on the table. I feel like I'm missing something. Um, so what does that look like for you? And how do you, how do you discipline yourself around the salary cap? Yeah. Two points here that 900 bucks is kind of my soft cap. Uh, if I've got $900 left on the table, I'm fine. I, I won't even think twice if I've got 900 or less. If I've got 1000 or more, 
I mean, generally feel like there's a there's an upgrade available there, and it's somewhat of an arbitrary cutoff between nine hundred and a thousand. Maybe it's yeah. because a, a thousand just kind of stares at you with a comma in there, or I don't know, whatever the case may be. That tends to be where where I cut it off. But uh, you know, one of uh, one of our fellow contributors at Roto Grinders and does a lot of great work over there. Uh, Dan Bach actually wrote an article a couple of years ago, maybe it was just last year, 2015, I think, that broke down the percentage of people in the Millionaire Maker via what percent of the cap they used. And mm-hmm. if you haven't read that article, and anybody out there listening, if you haven't read that article, uh, it's 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 a great read, because especially if you're interested in game theory, because it was somewhere along the lines of 70% of the people left either no money or $100 or $200 on the table. And if you just get to $300 or or $400 left on the table, you're talking 20% of people or less that do that. And uh, it almost, you know, it gives you a much higher chance of having a differentiated lineup when you're in a a very large field tournament like a millionaire maker or something like that. It's amazing how many people feel like they need to absolutely use as much of that cap as they can. So I do think you're getting a little bit of an edge with lineups that that leave maybe four or five, six hundred dollars on the table, but if it gets up to a thousand, I'll, I'll almost always look for some sort of upgrade. Not to say that I change it every time, but that tends to be the point where I really will look. You know that that actually uh, that interests me a little bit though, Justin, because I think that I mean, wasn't it at least two out of the four um, of the Millie Maker lineups that won? Weren't they maxed out on the salary? I think right at you know either a hundred or less. So I mean, I, I get what you're saying as far as you're probably giving yourself a little bit well, yeah, of an advantage be- by taking you know by by leaving more on the table. But the actual winners, you know, did max out their salary at least. May I think if I'm I may be wrong, but at least maybe fifty percent of the time. Well, I mean, if 70% of the people are doing that, then all other things being equal, those people have a 70% chance to win, too. I mean, it, it's, yeah, there, there's a game theory discussion to be had there, but if, if you're maxing out your salary, in theory, you also give yourself the better players. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a fine line between do you really want to make sure your lineup is unique? Because the worst thing you want to see in a millionaire maker is you put a lineup out there and 20 people have the same lineup as you. Yeah, because, you know, then the most you're taking home is uh, 300,000 or 200,000 or whatever, if you all split the top 20 prizes. And not that we wouldn't all be ecstatic if we were in a 20 way tie for first. (laughs) But, you know, the chalk lineups, if you built the chalkiest lineup you could possibly build on a on a millionaire maker week, a lot of people are going to have that lineup. So you at least have to consider some sort of of ownership angle uh, in that type of no no i'm totally with you i just was i was just kind of wondering you know with with thinking about the way it kind of played out at least this year as far as the the millie makers were concerned but pat i I think you're just being rude this personally that's my opinion well i'm just you know <laughs> no, I, Justin, I, I you gotta you gotta like... understand that David likes to to rag on me a little bit. So. He won't he won't so, let I me mean, ask the tough I, questions. I, you guys have known each other for such a long time. Like, do do you get tired of each other from now? I mean, is there just uh, you just need a break <laughs> from time to time, or you know, is it uh, uh, well, years of bliss? 
You know, it's funny. Uh, I think it's funny that you that you think we've known each other for a long time. We really haven't. Um, re- relatively speaking, like we um, we we actually didn't meet each other until January of what 2015, Pat. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of crazy, but we we did we did hit it off quick, and we both had a, an addiction to daily fantasy sports and golf, and so that kind of that that happened quickly. So. I guess you could kind of say it was love at first sight, huh, Pat? Something like that? <laughs> I guess um, so. No, I was going to say back to the game theory stuff, though, and I'm not a huge game theory, um, you know, hypothesizer, but I would think that with, um, you know, with a more public contest, that erring on the side of leaving a lot of that money on the table is the, is the better move. Uh, but I, I would also guess, though, Justin, and you can tell me if I'm wrong because I don't play in, you know, Pat and I don't don't play in thousand dollar buy in tournaments. Uh, I would think that the more you know experienced tournaments where you've got you know heavy hitters playing, that might not be the case. Like, you would it be almost the reverse where you where you find yourself differentiating from you know all the other pros in the in the contest with a lineup that maxes out your you know your uh, your salary cap. Well, in that type of format, I mean, when you're dealing with the higher buy-ins, you're also dealing with a lot smaller field. Uh, yeah. So in, in in that type of setting, I will focus a whole lot more on just maybe putting the best team out there that I can. You will notice in a lot of these, uh, a lot of the higher dollar tournaments, you'll notice some, some unique trends in ownership. Um, maybe the trendy guy that, that's getting a lot of publicity you know, in various podcasts and columns and stuff, uh, maybe will be less popular in those type of tournaments because people will look to kind of veer away from, uh, you know, the the guy that's going to be the chalk. So, it really in the in those settings when you're dealing with higher buy-ins, you know, even three hundred dollars or something like that, I'll generally put just my best team forward, and you know, if one of my guys happens to be very popular so be it i generally at least have one or two guys that i know i'm going to be on an island with a little bit or or they're not going to be the most popular picks that week so i don't get all cranked about uh totally differentiating and leaving salary on the table in a higher dollar smaller field it's mainly a a a theory angle if you're talking you know a millionaire maker or a three dollar tournament that's got fifty thousand people or something like that where you know, finding a way to differentiate from the crowd, maybe it makes your lineup stand out. All right, so next question. Let's say you're playing, um, you know, you're you're going to play five to ten different entries in a GPP, you know, anywhere from, let's let's talk about maybe some of the smaller buy-in uh, GPPs, like $3 birdies or some of the three-entry max, $3, $5, and, and even the Millie Maker. Um, you know, how, how many core players do you have and how many players total would you like to have exposure to? What's what's your what's your process and and rule for that? Yeah, I, I've I pretty much use the same strategy every week. Um, I I kind of honed it through three or four years, and the one thing with golf that that always bugged me, and, and I think this was around the first uh, the first five or six weeks that I started playing, I had somebody that withdrew in the middle of the first round or some something happened and you know they they only played a few holes and then you get to realize that 
even the best golfers, not named, you know, prime age Tiger Woods, are going to have their weeks or months where they just kind of struggle. So it's very rare when I'm multi-entering that I will go all in on a specific player. I mean, I almost never do. I can't I can't remember the last time I did it in a multi-entry setting. What I usually do, so let's say, you know, I'm putting in 20 entries or whatever. I will pick uh, my golfers for that week. It's usually between 15 and 20, uh, depending on the field size or how many guys that I like. And I will play them in pretty much equal shares throughout my entries. So uh, if you've got 18 guys on DraftKings, that's enough to fill three teams. And if I've got a, a 18 guys that I like that week, I'll put all 18 of them roughly on a third of my rosters. And, you know, I hope that it, if everybody makes the cut, I mean, I had one week where I had 20 guys and, and 19 of them made the cut. It's obviously going to be a pretty good week because you've got a lot of teams with six guys through. And, you know, at uh, the the Deutsche Bank Championship here, the, the playoff event, only 23 guys got cut in that event. And somehow five of the 15 guys that I picked for that event managed to, to get cut. So it was a terrible week. But uh, that's what I'll do. I'll pick, you know, 15 to 20 guys and I'll play them all in equal shares. I won't go all in on anybody. Uh, and it, it's worked. I mean, I, I can't complain with the results. It's It's a little bit of a unique kind of way of doing it and it makes it a little bit of a challenge for me you know when I built that big lineup for that uh, open championship where I just had the one entry that was hard for me I mean I had to sit there and and parse down my list of guys down to six and I mean it worked and and if I and I'm comfortable playing a single entry setting I mean I'll pick the six guys that I like the best out of that core but I'm really I'm drawn to the the multi-entry and uh, I like you know having uh, 15 or 16 guys there on on my shot tracker and you hope for two days that they all can just or most of them can manage to make the weekend and sometimes it works and sometimes it fails miserably interesting strategy because i know a lot of guys you know i mean i, I don't really feel like i've heard that a lot from the you know the experts in the gpp world where they where they feel like they have equal exposure there's always yeah you know, and, and Pat and I, you know, if you've listened to our show at all, like we don't, we don't really bog down a whole lot in uh, in in doing um, big time, you know, uh, ownership pro- projections and spreadsheets, and you know, hey, I, I'm going to own Brooks Kepka, you know, 64 percent this week, and Snedeker 19 percent. Like we don't do a whole lot of that, um, but I know a lot of guys that do. So I've never really heard. Um, you know, a guy like you who's had a lot of success say, I want, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pick the guys I like and I'm going to have equal ownership. That's, well, that's interesting. I, I mean, one of the biggest points of this is I then have to pay careful attention to who I have combined with who, because you obviously don't want, right. you know, all, all your shares of, of mm-hmm. golfer A and all your shares of golfer B together on the same rosters. And in a sense, it becomes really hard to try to mesh those teams together because you want to try, if you're trying to cover the bases with those 16, 17, or 18 guys, you want to try to mix them up enough to where, you know, if if three of those guys happen to finish first, second, and third, you want to hopefully have them together on, you know, at least a roster or two. Right. And, uh, you know, so that requires some, some spreadsheet work and, you know, trying to make sure that, golfer a is with golfer b and golfer a is with golfer c and that's uh 
you know, having some having an accounting background, some some skills with that sort of stuff has helped me in that. But that's kind of my biggest challenge is trying to piece those together, because I really do think there's a method. You don't want all your lineups to have, you know, the same five guys and then one guy different. And then you've got another lineup that's completely different than all the others. And you've got to try to to hone them together. And like I said, if half my guys miss the cut, you know, unless I happen to have one random one that's got six guys through, it's probably going to be a bad week. And if everybody makes the cut, you know, I'm probably going to have one where where stuff comes together. And I, and I do think that that strategy is a bit unique, but uh, it's it, it. I've I've always been a fan of hedging. I hate being all in on someone. And then if you know, if the worst happens, you're toast. And that's it's not easy for me to be 100 percent on a guy. And then you sit there and you get a first round withdrawal or the guy doesn't tee off or the guy hits one shot it the injury reporting is just so sketchy with pga that it is yeah you know i'm comfortable going in 100 percent on a guy in you know nba or something like that but with golf there's just there's so much variance and there's so much unpredictability that i think you have to hedge a little bit so you you remind me of another question we wanted to ask which is how do you treat wgc events or or no cut events or you know or maybe a a short field with a cut where you've got a greater percentage of players getting through to the weekend. And obviously in the WGC event, you've got every player getting into the weekend or for example, the Olympics that we had a few weeks back. How do you approach those from the GPP lineup construction? If, if any different, and do you, do you limit the amount that you put in or do you increase that? Or is it all the same? Yeah, it's not my favorite type of format. I mean, in your traditional full field PGA Tour event, I, I will argue that, I mean, the biggest day of the week is probably Friday. Um, obviously Sunday as well with with finishing position, but with all a lot of the PGA Tour events, you see so much fantasy scoring. I mean, you see birdies, and outside of the U.S. Open, maybe if you get more guys through the cut than your opponent, even in a cash game, I mean, you don't even have to be talking GPPs. You just you have such a better shot of winning and. Yep. I uh, with the with the no cut events or the smaller field events, it's just not the same the first couple of days for me because you know, anybody can everyone's going to be around and and anyone can get hot over the weekend and and come back, you know, maybe for a top 5 finish if you're talking a 30 man field or a 70 man field. I I'll play them. Uh, I generally do go a little bit lighter just because the fields it just doesn't interest you as interest me as much with no cut and uh i will use a smaller grouping of guys like if you're talking a 70-man field for the bmw or a 30-man field for the tour championship yeah i'll cut my list of guys down to you know maybe 12 out of 70 or or eight out of 30 or something like that and obviously you can't be using 15 to 20 guys when you only have 30 guys in the field so i'll parse it down a little bit and they really aren't my favorite events, but of course I'll still play. Interesting. All right, I got one more question for you, and then we're going to let Pat uh, throw some at you. Um, we play in a league with our buddies. So we've, we've since before we started the podcast, we started a league with our friends uh, on DraftKings every week for PGA, and it's competitive, right? And but you know, that's it, the most important one, then, right? If you win that is. one, you're good. Yeah, it's a lot of that's fun. That's right. Um, so, so like the leagues though, I find interesting. And now that DraftKings has released leagues and more people are, are, are doing stuff like that. Um, sometimes I feel like, so as long as we've been playing ours, which is almost two years, 
Um, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm like, you know, I treat this as a cash game and it does well. And then sometimes I feel like, damn, if I just would have treated this like a GPP and totally zigged when everyone else was zagging, I would have, I would have crushed it, you know? So like if it's a 15 to 25 man buddy kind of league, where do you, how, you know, like, how do you treat it? Is it a, do you, do you treat it as a cash game? Do you treat it as a GPP? Does it depend on what percentage of the field is getting paid out? So um, is that kind of how you, how you do it? Or, or like, do you play in any of those? Or what are your thoughts on, on, on the leaks? Well, it, it depends. I mean, are you guys using any sort of cumulative scoring or is it just every week is its own kind of thing? Yeah, every week, just its own thing. Yeah, so a lot of those, you see those type of games. I mean, just in the lobby on DraftKings, you can get, you know, a 10-man yeah. game where the top three are paid or, you know, a 20-man game where the top four or five are paid. And uh, those type of hybrid games are are a little bit interesting to to break down from a strategy perspective. Again, those those fields are small enough where I think you just – put your best team forward and if one guy happens to be 80 percent owned you know so be it you don't want to be the guy that that doesn't have him and then the guy ends up winning so i'm always a fan of if you've got one guy that you want to hit your wagons to that you don't think anybody's going to be on nobody's talking about him and uh, just don't hesitate to play that guy a lot of times in a in a smaller field or or something that's competitive or even like a high dollar gpp people are afraid to pull the trigger on the guy that nobody's talking about and a lot of times that's the guy that can that can win you a tournament yeah well all right so now i get to go finally because uh david kind of you sort of stole the show the first first part there david but uh, what are you talking that was the plan pat i know i know i've got a few questions though justin for you so starting off you know, we constantly talk balanced or studs and duds strategy, um, you know, really from a week-to-week standpoint. So what have you found to, you know, work the best as far as GPPs are concerned? Or, you know, are we missing the boat on something? Are there other strategies that we could look at, you know, as far as GPPs are concerned? It's an interesting debate. Um, I've had kind of mixed results with both i guess uh, and, and a lot of it was with my strategy that i use with rotating golfers uh, almost every week i'll end up with some lineups that are balanced and and some that aren't uh to me it's all in the the field strength or the format i mean when you're talking a no cut event uh or a small field event i think you have to take more chances and go more stars and scrubs because like if you talk a 70 man field uh, with no cut, where everyone's getting four rounds, you're not you're not winning a GPP if you don't have the winner. Mm-hmm. So, in that type of setting, I almost always will go stars and scrubs, or at least I will a little more often because obviously the top five or six guys generally have much better chances of winning, and I think you have to have the winner in that type of setting. In a full field event with a cut. I often find myself going a little bit more balanced because if you just get everybody through the cut and maybe three or four of your guys finish in the top 10, I have seen people take down big, big pots without the winner. If they've got, you know, second, third and eighth place finisher or something like that. So to me, in those type of formats, I'm more concerned with, with taking a safer lineup. That's going to get guys through to the weekend. 
so that's generally speaking how I approach it. If the field size is smaller or no cut, uh, I'll go stars and scrubs a little bit more often. But admittedly, I, I don't have a concrete answer there. I've had success and failures, you know, both ways. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. Um, you know, we also, you know, talk about ownership percentage a, a ton, um, especially in GPPs. Uh, it's obviously huge. You know, what is your strategy around that as far as, you know, maybe projecting ownership? Are there any, you know, specific, specific tools that you may use, you know, maybe on roto grinders, just things that will help you with, um, you know, maybe just, just deciding who you're going to go with based on that ownership per- percentage? Yeah, we do have uh, at Roto Grinders. We've started putting a, a team of people together to kind of project ownership on a given week, and you know, a couple people look at it to to make sure it doesn't seem off base, and and you kind of get a feel for it. Especially people that have been playing golf a long time, you can kind of get the feel for uh, who's going to be highly owned. You know, who's getting talked about on various platforms. Uh, who am I talking about? Who are you guys talking about? And what are you seeing on Twitter? And in, in this digital age, you you can consume so much content in a short period of time that you can get a decent feel for for who's going to be highly owned. If you've been playing golf, you know, and you know the guys, it takes a little bit of time. But uh, putting together some projected ownership stuff is is a great tool. And I think a lot of people on, on Roto Grinders are happy to see that we're we're doing it for some other sports as well. But uh, there's always something every week that that surprises you. You know, you you just you don't you don't see it coming. Um, Matt Kuchar, I think, is the biggest example of that. Everyone likes to take Matt Kuchar, and he always generally has uh, fairly high ownership. And when he was coming off the bronze medal at the Olympics, he was seven to ten percent owned the next week, and that surprised me. I figured he'd be a lot higher, and he finished in the sixties in the first playoff event. And then the very next week he was 25% owned again, which, you know, that, 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 that type, you just, you can't get them all right. And I think a lot more people are starting to play the ownership game and, and they saw, well, Matt Kuchar was low owned last week. So I'll, you know, if he's going to be low owned again, I'll take a chance with him. Uh, so that makes it a little bit harder to, to kind of project ownership. And like I said, a lot of times, if I like a guy, if I know he's going to be highly owned, I'll just, I'll play him anyway. And, I'll hope to differentiate elsewhere. So it's it's a fun puzzle to try to put together, but uh, you're always going to see something that surprises you. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. Um, so talking about some of the other, I mean, obviously uh, we know that you're uh, definitely a great player as far as uh, you know DFS golf and and other things. But who are some of the other you know sharp players out there uh, that that come to mind? You know, obviously uh, we have a lot of folks that follow us on Twitter and, and, uh, you know, maybe give us just some, some guys that you follow or that you pay attention to as far as their opinions on, um, you know, golf and, and DFS. Yeah, there's uh, there's obviously a lot of people out there, uh, in terms of GPP play and, and kind of the person that, that maybe I modeled a little bit of my strategy after and, um, I I adapted it a little bit, but one of the best GPP players out there, he goes by the username uh, JetBlackX. I have no idea what his real name even is. He doesn't post on Twitter that often, but I think that might be his Twitter handle. I keep meaning to try to connect with him, but 
I, I, he has won a lot of of golf tournaments, and uh, you know has weeks where where he has a lot of lineups near the top. That was the first name that came to mind when when I thought of you know another person having sustained uh, or at least a lengthy history of of GPP success. Uh, in terms of other voices to listen to, I mean, uh, we do a, a golf show, a video uh, show on, on Roto Grinders on Tuesday nights uh, with uh, myself and uh, Brian Devonshire, who you might know from the poker world, those of you listening who, who played poker. Uh, he's, a, he's a big proponent of the, the game theory angle and likes to talk about that on the show. Uh, and then uh, Gib Pollard, who is one of our writers, um, who has won the uh, uh, FSWA award for golf writer of the year a couple years back. Uh, we do a show on Tuesday nights. So uh, obviously I respect uh, those guys and, uh, and, and they're certainly posting their thoughts uh, on Twitter and, and talking about them on the show. And that's, uh, that's been going for uh, probably a good three years now, every Tuesday night when there's a golf tournament. So uh, we've gotten pretty close, and and, and there's uh, obviously a lot of stuff out there. I mean, there's uh, your podcast, which is great, and there's other uh, written content and other other stuff, even on Roto Grinders and and premium tools there. So, if you're just getting into daily fantasy golf, or you or you haven't yet, and maybe you're looking to get into it for the new season, I mean, there's there's certainly people out there that are willing to to help you, and and that's the one thing I've noticed with golf is that even though we're all kind of competing against each other, the whole community just likes to talk, you know, talk golf and talk strategy. And at the end of the day, I mean, these guys are out there golfing for four days and you know what I say in, in one minute on the, on a podcast or the guys that I recommend, it's not going to make them go out there and play any better. And you know, it, it hasn't affected my bottom line in terms of DFS play. And, I just like to talk about golf as much as the next guy. So it's uh, it's really a fun kind of uh, different little community. Agree. Well, it's a good world to be in. That's cool. It is. Yeah. Although the first answer I thought you were going to give is that you listen to the Tour Junkies podcast, and that's how you get most of your information. But I get all of my information, and then the uh, my credibility just goes right out the window because I'm sitting here talking to you guys, and I get all my stuff uh, just from you. But uh, no, you guys do a great job. <laughs> I, I know uh, I know Jet Black X, who you're talking about, by the way. We we run into him a good bit, and he plays in uh, another cash game contest that we play in. So. Yeah, he's a stud. He is a stud. I, he, I guess he's just gonna be he's gonna be Batman on us and just never reveal his identity because <laughs> on Twitter he's good he is, though, yeah. he, he is at Jet Black X. So um, that's cool. Yeah. Well, all right. So I got I got one last question. Um, we obviously talk stats a lot on our podcast, David especially. Um, I'm more of a recent form and course history guy, but. You know, tell us a little bit about what you think as far as that's concerned. You know, what are you considering most going into the week? Or do you, do you, you know, how do you weight course history, form, stats? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a puzzle that you got to put together every week. But just give us a little, just quick insight on, on what you're looking at as far as that's concerned. Yeah, it's amazing the differences of, of opinion you get on this subject. It's like the... It's like the batter versus pitcher debate in in baseball. It's almost yep. identical. Like, does it matter? And if you just think about it from a from a personal perspective, I mean, if I'm talking about one of my local country clubs in the town where I live, like, there's a hole on that course that 
it'd be a miracle if I ever got anything less than, you know, a triple bogey on that hole. It's like a 620 yard par five. Uh, I'm five foot six and I don't hit the ball very far and I'm not great at golf, but I enjoy playing. But I step up to the tee box every time on that hole and I just know that I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to score well on that hole and I just don't even want to hit the ball. And now, obviously, these tour pros, it's it's not the same thing, but you know that there are certain courses that these guys probably go to every every year and think, uh, wow, I, I really enjoy this event. I love the greens here or, you know, I, I like the, the setup of the golf course. It caters to my game. I mean, just in my local event uh, that I went to this year, Zach Johnson at the John Deere Classic, he, he didn't play that well this year. But before this year, it was four or five straight years where he hadn't finished worse than third. I mean, you I, I think if you completely ignore course history, you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. Now, I'm not the person that takes it to extremes and says it's the gospel and I'm only going to play course history, guys. but I do think there is something to be said for a guy that's got an extensive history at a certain course. Now, if it's one third place finish and he's only played there twice, am I going to consider it? Probably not. But if it's a, a six, seven, eight year run of doing significantly better on a certain course than that person generally does elsewhere, I do think you have to give them a little bit of a bump. Uh, and the recent form as well. I mean, you, you see guys uh, that tend to be streaky. And I mean, Billy Horsch was one of them. The guy will go absolutely nowhere for months and then he'll just put up top tens like nobody's business when he won the tour championship a couple years ago and he started playing well towards the end of this year too. So I, I am a course history guy. I am a recent form guy, but it's it's all just a little piece. Um, you know, at, at the same time, you, you kind of have to take into account all the other factors and the weather and tea times and, and all that too. But uh, I think the people that totally ignore course history are, there are some people that just don't even consider it. And I think, yeah. you know, you got to You got to at least look at it. So what about the stats piece though? Like, so what are Pat's right? I, I, I like the stats. So are there any like key stats that you, you just, you look at every week, no matter what, or how much do you look into those and how do you, how do you tend to weight those? Yeah, it's course to course for me. Um, you know, if you get a par 72, that's uh, 7,600 yards, 7,700 yards, like uh, Trump National Doral or something like that. There are certain courses that just naturally cater to the guys that can hit the ball a long way. Uh, Augusta, for whatever reason, it, it, the way it's set up tends to cater to left-handed golfers in, in terms of the history there. So uh just little nuggets depending on the course if you've got a a short you know par 70 tree line course like a harbor town you're not going to want guys that that hit at 320 but you go in the trees occasionally so it's a course to course thing for me uh if there's smaller greens i'll i'll value proximity to the hole and and kind of devalue putting a little bit uh so it's a, it's a course to course thing there's not really anything that i consider uh, week in and, and week out as you know I have to look at this stat awesome man we appreciate it Justin that is Justin Van Zuden uh, at STL Cardinals 84 on Twitter 
Give him a follow. He's a he's a Roto Grinders contributor. He's he's hosting podcasts on Roto Grinders, and he's just he's a, he's credible, right? He's he's actually won some money doing this. So uh, we appreciate a lot, Justin, hopping on and doing the GPP strategy show with us, uh, Justin. We we uh, we wish you luck, man, and and may your screens be green in uh, in all your NFL and NBA and Major League and PGA DFS. It sounds like you do it all. So uh, keep getting the green screens, man. <laughs> thanks guys thanks for having me on it was a lot of fun and pretty much everything but hockey i haven't dipped my toes in the hockey yet and probably uh, won't uh, busy enough as it is but uh, thanks again guys totally with you there all right guys thanks for downloading the tour junkies podcast gpp strategy show uh once again presented to you by roto grinders rotogrinders.com um, obviously it works or you know justin wouldn't be pumping it so uh, check out roto grinders and uh, the premium content especially and, uh, you know, may your screens be green. See ya! What will you discover in Asheville, North Carolina? Your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails. Your creative streak as you stroll the River Arts District. In Asheville, the answers can surprise you. Don't miss Summer of Glass, now through September, featuring Chihuly at Biltmore and a community-wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours. Visit exploreashville.com to plan your stay. Asheville, discovery inside and out. My heart skips skipping the beach and I'm close enough so that space between you and me, let's lose it. The way you're dancing, swaying to the music, girl, that body and how you move it. Every time you cross my mind, girl, I lose it. Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist. Okay. I think you know what you're doing to me, you got with Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.